Jesus. It's a bit of a conundrum for some people that that name is the name in the universe. The only name, the only one who can actually rescue the human destination of not being in heaven. Since the Garden of Eden, nobody is setting foot back into that garden. It's cherubim still there, guarding the way back into it. The only way back into that place is through the blood of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As we sing His name, and we sing songs like that where His name's repeated, and we repeat it, and then we repeat it again. I hope you get a sense of that name being kind of branded for one of a better way of putting it, kind of stamped onto your soul as who I belong to. That's who I'm appealing to. That's my advocate. He's my lawyer. He's my representative in heaven with God the Father. And he's saying, this guy Bruce has got my name on him. He belongs here. So as you sing that song and have sung it this morning with us, I hope there's a level of reassurance or assurance entering upon you that no matter what's going on, no matter what life's dished up to you thus far, it is actually going to end well. It is going to end well. We're going to end up with God forever. I don't know about you, but I think that's a pretty good deal. So let me pray before we sit down this morning. Because we have got a Father in heaven who delivered His Son to us and let the circumstances of humanity's depravity take Jesus all the way to the point of death and to die. And so, Father, as we come to your presence this morning around this word, this message you've laid on my heart about fatherhood and the fact that you, in your word, state you are a father to the fatherless. There is not a fatherless person in your kingdom. And so help us, Lord, to navigate the complexity of Father's Day with a fresh sense of assurance that our Father who is in heaven his name is holy. He's going to be with us this day and into the future and forever. And in the name of Jesus, we praise you and we thank you this morning. Amen. God bless you, church. You may be seated. Fantastic. Thanks, team, for taking us into the presence of God. We're going to get back and sing, crank up that praise song at the end of the service. Who's looking forward to their dancing moves? You know, Trevor, you're looking pretty enthusiastic there. Um, yeah, anyway. No, it's all good. Just chill out. I won't pick on you. It's all good. <laughs> hey, we're starting a new series today, and we're actually having a slight change of direction with the preaching for the remainder of the year. Uh, up until last week, we've been predominantly in an exegetical mold uh, um, mode of preaching. That is, um, we had a whole set of texts, different books of the Bible in particular, that we've uh, just drilled down into since the beginning of the year. And today we changed tack to a thematic uh, approach to preaching, which means we've got some themes and we're still in the area of sent. That is sent to be or become or to build community is for the next three months our focus. And we're going to look at things that actually are the building blocks of community, what they might be. And today we're starting off on Father's Day with the issue of friendship. Who's got, in, who's got friends? Give me if you wave me if you've got any friends in this life. Come on, give me a wipe. There should be no hands down. You've got friends, right? I'm hoping this is one of those moments where we can all put a hand up and go, yep, I'm one of them, and I've got some of those friends. 
And I thought about it because I thought, oh, do I stick with the themes that I just wrote it out at the, towards the end of last year and kind of neglected to think about it being Father's Day because I just did. And I thought, nope, they're actually interconnected and in fact they're importantly connected if you ask me. Um, so don't hear anything I say today from a sexist perspective because it's not intended to be. But I want to say this, that father, fatherhood is a cornerstone, a foundational dimension of friendship. And friendship is a foundational issue within community. So church can be a gathering of people, people who believe that Jesus is the Son of God can gather together, but they can be anything but friendly. You ever been to a church where there's, no, there's just not a... They're not friendly people. They're just kind of like, more. Oh, they're there because they love Jesus. And you wouldn't know they love other people, but that's another story for another day. It's like we're called to love one another. And we're called to be not just people who do stuff together. It's great to be on teams. It's great to serve together. Uh, that's all part and parcel of just the practical outcomes of life. But alongside that, a way more important dimension is to become a nation. Abram in chapter 12 of Genesis, where we're going this morning, and a little bit after that, was called to do something. He wasn't called, just, just have some kids, mate. You haven't got any at the moment, but I'm going to bless you supernaturally, and you're going, to have, you're going to have some kids. God doesn't have a low bar for your life. Let me say that he does not have a low bar for your life. Abram wasn't anybody special. I don't see anywhere in Scripture indication that he was some special dude just waiting in the wings for his moment of supernatural encounter with God. God just picked the guy, random. Could have picked me, could have picked you, could have picked Tom, Dick or Harry, or Mary, Fred, whoever. He, could, he just, God picked a guy called Abram. And Abram had a dad who before him had decided to uproot the family and move um, and they kind of stopped partway to where God actually was intending for them to go. And so we pick up the story where Abram's, still in the context of his family and not quite where God intends for him to be. So this morning you might be not quite where God intends you to be and there's something you can do because Abram shows us what to do. And what to do is this. Listen up. So the Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, your father's household to the land I'll show you. Let's just think about that. In an ancient culture where the family's wealth and the family's legacy and so forth is way more connected to the ongoing capacity to breed animals or farm, it's an agrarian kind of context of creating wealth and as we know with the story of Abram, he created a lot of wealth or God created wealth in his world through the enlargement of his flocks and sheep and goats and so forth. Um, so the command to go is tricky and it's kind of like but I like it here I don't really want to leave and God just says you know don't go away and pray about it don't go and have a think about it don't go and ask somebody else about it go sometimes there is a need for us to do what God says when it makes no sense not always sometimes we go because we're being disobedient Sometimes we go because we're being painful. Sometimes we go because we want to make a point. Sometimes we go for all kinds of reasons other than the one that, that, that God's told us to go. But when we know it's God, it's like 
Let's get on with it. So he goes on to say to him, uh, I will make you into a great nation. Say nation. nation. That's God's high bar. You recall that Jesus had a dispute in the New Testament with the Jewish people that were not happy with what he was saying about himself and about accusing him of being under the influence of Beelzebub by demons, he cast out demons and they had a fairly lengthy discussion about who they belonged to and the Jews were emphatic, emphatic that they were children of Abraham. Abraham is our father was their statement. Some of us in this room don't actually have our fathers with us anymore. My dad passed away 11 years ago. I don't have an earthly dad. My physical dad's no longer with me. But the Bible is pretty encouraging in this realm, regardless of your stature or state in regards to the physicality of this deal. We have all got a father, our father in heaven. Fatherhood is not about a position to do with function. It's to do with calling. It's to do with God. God calls fatherhood into being. I'm a father to the fatherless. That's what God is. And so he puts us all in the spot of being able to be, in this regard, equal. Regardless of what our earthly experience of a father is or isn't, when we come to God, we discover a father who is totally reliable, totally into us, totally for us, totally willing to do what needs to be done to get us to get where we're supposed to get to, that is into his presence. There's nobody in this room excluded from that. There's nobody listening online that's got something to do that they can't do. Every one of us can get to the point of believing Jesus is the Son of God. So I'll make you into a great nation. I'll bless you. I'll make your name great. Down a verse, I don't know just hold on what he says there. Verse 4. So Abram went. Say went. went. So when God says go, it's a good idea to go. If God doesn't say go, stay put until you're otherwise. If God hasn't told you to do something, it's probably a good idea not to do it. Um, just to say a few words about that. So um, the start of God's redemptive plan involved a willingness to let go of the present and step in, into the unknown. So sometimes the, the um, I guess the reality of an altar call in our church and churches like ours is an invitation to step out of the current circumstance you might find yourself in and actually step into something that actually is not really clearly known other than somewhere inside of your being there's this conversation going on that I believe. I believe Jesus is God's son. And so there's this dimension. First thing that Abram did then in this story is to obey God. He had come so far with his father, his own father, yet he'd learned to be a risk taker. And so I'm going to wander around with the microphone in a minute and ask a few dads, and I know people I know who are dads here this morning, um, but not necessarily the dads are going to ask anybody, so get ready for it. If you don't like the microphone coming under your nose, this is a moment of intimidation. <laughs> um, what did your dad or a dad figure teach you about taking risks? Okay, that's the question. 
what did your parent, father, father figure, teach you by either telling you or demonstrating how did they impart your understanding of risk? Tricky question, eh? Because this was risky. Abram took a risk. Somebody taught him how to do that. Yeah, well, you've gone very quiet on me because you're all freaking about this thing, right? <laughs> yeah, okay. Have I got a volunteer? That'll be the, the... Oh, yes, down the back. Deborah, yes. Stay right there. I'll come, come past here and I'll just... Yep, you tell us. My dad taught me that risk was a good thing, that you have to take really big risks in life. And the one reason he did that is when we were kids, my brother and I, we had a four-wheel drive and my dad had a... What was it? An army box at the front. And we sat on that, no seat belts, no nothing, and went up and down sand dunes and all that. And so risk was fun and risk was something to be had and done. It was a risky thing. Put your hands together for that answer. I love that. All righty. Anybody else down this neck of the woods while I'm here want to have to say something? Gary, what did you learn about risks? Well, if you don't take a risk, you won't know, do you? Let's just say that. If you don't take a risk, you won't know. If you don't take a risk, you won't know. Okay. Anybody else? June. You're looking the very looking the other way, but you got any wisdom for us, June? Um, I'm not sure that my um, parents actually demonstrated risk taking, yeah. but they let my sister and I take lots of risks, and just allowed us to do it. So. So important. So they allowed you to take. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Okay. So. Allowing your person you're responsible for to take risks is an important way of teaching them about risks, right? So it's not just demonstrating, oh, I had risky parents. It's like, but they encouraged me to take risks. Anybody else got any pearls of wisdom for us? Jackie, you look like you've got something on the tip of your tongue. <laughs> similar, really. Um, yeah, I can't remember being demonstrated about risks or anything, but... Um, I mean, I used to be out all hours of the day and night with my horse, um, walking home in the dark in England, going out in the morning in the dark in England, and uh, never really considered it much of a risk. It was never sort of uh, something that was, um, you know, made us to feel that it was a risky thing. And I'd be on my own a lot of the time. But, um, yeah, it was never a, a risk, really. No, that's good. So a sense of probably security in that. So you've got to provide a secure environment, I think, for someone to feel comfortable to take risks. That's kind of my spin on it, but you might have had a very different pathway to discover risk-taking. Stepping out when it doesn't make sense. What about over here? Any, anybody younger than some of the people I've spoken to? Where am I heading over here? <laughs> oh, Zali. She, she loves sitting in the front row because she gets picked on. What do you know about taking risks? You got anything for us? If you don't try, you'll never know. Yes, we got that from back to front. Does everybody in this block agree with that? Yep. Okay, you got to step out of the step out of the known into the unknown. Okay, we'll, we've got plenty to get to, so we'll, we'll. That's good. Thank you for those that spoke up and those of you that are thinking, who's next? You'll get your turn. Moving down to Genesis 15, we read these words. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. 
I love that verse. If you haven't got that one highlighted in your Bible, highlight it. Don't be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. Not the gifts of God. They're not the reward. God is the reward. How cool is that? He's willing to actually give completely himself to you. And he dwells in you and me through the Spirit. It's incredible mind-blowing reality when you stop and think about it so then he took him outside down to verse 5 we skip a few verses said look up at the sky and count the stars if you can then he said to him so shall your offspring be remember Abram's got no kids at this point in time so he's he's facing a conversation hearing a conversation with God that at the moment has got no plausible explanation of either ever becoming a reality other than the fact that God said it in verse 6, Abram believed the Lord and he credited, God that is, it to him as righteousness. Abraham, or Abram, sorry, at this point in time, now believed the Lord. They, the family, are on a journey of learning to trust God. Trusting God is not like, snap your fingers, I trust God. Trusting somebody with, in your own friendship circle is not just snap your fingers, oop, I trust them. It's a journey. It's a journey of discovery. And so the word believed is so important for Ed to get around. So next question is, what did your dad teach you about trust? Okay, remember the old RAA advert, who can you trust? With whatever his name was, the comedian. What did you learn about trust, Emily? Uh, I think to take risks, you have to be trusted. So in both questions, like we were just allowed to do things without too much buffer around us, no bubble wrap. I can testify to that. Anybody who follows Emily and her sister Kirby on social media know these two nutcase twin girls. <laughs> Climb this massive tree at Christmas time. Lord knows how high that tree is. The thing that they might not realise is Dad follows behind us still. So because he doesn't trust because he, he doesn't trust us, he's ready for a catch. It's just yeah. <laughs> Yeah, good luck with that one, JT. <laughs> All right, over this side. I reckon I'm heading towards Trent. What did you learn? What, what's, what's the old fella over there taught you about trust? <laughs> Just be careful what you say. <laughs> He's only an arm's length away. I don't know. Dad's taught me to, to take risk with trusting people, you know, mm. to yeah, step so out and... Emily, kind of yeah, yeah, for sure. Cool. All righty. What about anyone else? I didn't ask for a volunteer. Any volunteers over here about this issue of trust? What did your dad teach you about trust? Was your dad cynical? Happy? I think my dad taught me to really just trust others from the go and just, yeah, be trusting of others. Yeah. Okay, that's good. I think I, I don't have a, I don't remember where I preach these days because I'm in the three locations, but I, in something I have been studying recently, there was a whole section of um, thought and reading required that looked at the reality of how society is actually structured and it actually requires and won't work if there wasn't, we're almost born with an inherent ability to trust. And so, um, but that can be violated obviously but it can also be reinforced. 
And so I think it's incumbent on us with a parental role in a group like this, in a church community, is where I'm going with this message is to, friendship is built on trust. Is actually trusting that a person's going to follow through, trusting that people are going to do what they say they do until they don't. It's like, um, but we can have a bit of a disadvantage in this arena if we are the kind of people who find it difficult to trust. And so especially if we have had trust breached in some circumstance that's wounded us significantly, we then inappropriately don't trust people that we could trust who would be trustworthy. And so we need Jesus to heal us. We need Jesus to resurrect for one of, <laughs> I use that word carefully, but it is to resurrect the trust deal in our life, bring it back to life. Because you and I won't make it in church. We won't make it in our families. We won't make it in the community if we are absolutely busted in this arena of trust. So if trust is an issue for you this morning, I've got good news. Jesus wants to heal you, put you back on track so you can trust. Not willy-nilly and not without wisdom, but that you need all those things together. But trust is a beautiful dimension of building great friendships. So I, for, I'm married to Julie, you know that, been married for over 44 years. I trust her with my life. Well, I just, there would not be a moment of doubt. She's the closest person on the planet to me. Um, but I'd like to think that I've got people that are behind that level of trust with her. I've got people that I can equally trust that I'm not married to, that I trust. Trust people have got my back. Trust people are going to step in, step in front of a bus for me. Even if they didn't, I've got to believe that they potentially could. And maybe on a bad day for them, they would. Um, you know what I mean. Trust. Just how good is your trust meter this morning? And my third and final little reflection here is um, there's three things I'm talking about here. Obedience, trust, and I reckon they're in this sequence because those two things have got to be working really well in order for us to worship. So Abraham went from obeying God to believing God to worshipping God. So let me read verse 3 of chapter 17. Abram fell face down and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. Now he had promised him that back in chapter 12. So we're five chapters later and we're 15 years down the track. How are you doing with the patience meter this morning? waiting for God to do something. He's promised something's going to happen. Well, in this guy's case, it took him 15 years of living, trying to establish a family. And God has the nerve to revisit the promise he made. He said, okay, it's now time, 15 years later, this is going to happen now. Uh, You'll be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be called Abraham, for I've made you a father of many nations. I'll make you very fruitful. I'll make nations of you, and kings will come from you. And it says, well, basically, Abram was worshipping God. So what did your dad teach you or demonstrate to you about worship? Another question related to it, what did your dad teach you about idolatry? things that we actually worship that are not God, things that we really hitch our wagon to. Some of us are passionate about politics. I think we need to be have some, some demon cast out of us, but anyway. Um, but you can hitch, hitch your um, wagon to that. 
You can hitch your wagon to be an activist about climate change and transgenderism. and you can, you, Those things can all become so easily an idol that you worship at the footstool of that idol. And God is not to be mocked nor substituted. Abram was smart. He chose to worship God. Believe God. Sorry, obey God. Believe God. Worship God. So in the story of Abram, we encounter a sequence of events and choices that can guide us still today in the arena of building community. So it can get to as simple as uh, an obedience thing for the fair Aussie is still a problem. We actually still, as a cultural norm, in my opinion, have got a fair bit of angst towards authority figures and we push back against being told what to do. And so leadership in a church community is a tricky one because um, I don't pay you to do anything. You come to church because you love God, I hope. You come to church to worship God because you love God and there's a spirit of goodwill that enables us to cooperate to do things together. If you worked for me and I was paying you $5,000 a week and you turned up late, I'd have good reason to say, on your bike, see you later. I've got some leverage. Pick up your game, this is the first warning. Well, you're out of here. Try that language with a volunteer. Woo. It's like, yeah, that didn't go down too well. Um, I've tried it, trust me, it doesn't work. We cleared the church out a few times by being a little kind of blunt um, back when I was stupid last week. Yeah. Um, so we need, if you're a leader of a team or a connect group leader, ask yourself this question. Are we, are we actually building trust and risk-taking in our group? Are we actually building the sequence of that, obeying, believing, worshipping? If we get that right, if we follow Abram's template here, as a, it's a narrative story, but there's something in it for us to learn how to build our community so that we, when we are asked or even told to do something, we go, yep, count me in. Why? Because we trust each other, don't we? Oh, yeah, maybe. It's a journey. Yeah, okay. But I tell you, if we get this right, the sky's the limit. For Abram, he was told, literally, the sky is the limit. Look up and count the stars if you can. That's what's in front of you if you get this right. And it was right by obeying, by believing and by worshipping. He made some terrible mistakes. He lied about his wife because he didn't want, she was a beautiful woman, Sarai. And he lied twice about to two different kings that she was his sister. And he got himself into a Real big mess about that. You're allowed to make mistakes. If you're a dad and you've made a mistake, I've got good news for you this morning. God can forgive you, will forgive you. Turn to him. If you're a fatherless person this morning, I've got good news for you. God is your father in heaven. If it's complicated, maybe you've got a father, but the father's not a father. Never has been. Whatever the complexity of that might look like, I've got good news for you. God is your Father in heaven and he is able to be trusted. So my sort of final questions really are around this issue of friendship. And I try to think about my own dad because I actually, I think I've said to you many times before, I'm an introvert by 
personality type. I would much rather just sit home by myself and not be interrupted by anybody or anything. Um, just, just me. And so, uh, and the ironic thing about that is, uh, lots of the research into church life and pastoral calling is that the pastors that make the distance longevity in pastoral roles are people who are introverts, uh, not the extroverts. It's funny. Um, there's lots of other things connected to that, but um, trying to unpack what that's about is another thing. But my point in saying that is, friendship is something. I'm trying to think. Did my dad have any friends? If you think about your dad, how many friends did your dad, could you count on one hand? You know, I'm not talking about work colleagues. I'm talking about people that your dad went into his way. Do you go and see them? Have them around for dinner? Cook and barbecue? Fix things up for them? How many close friends did, does or did your dad have? And I came to the point there, mum and dad had a big network of people that were friends through church on the one hand and through their love of music on another. So I used to have these massive music parties and piano was playing and they were singing songs and doing the can-can and carrying on like nutcases until the wee small hours of the morning but um, I guess they were friends <laughs> well I think they were but my point for you is to ponder this did your dad demonstrate to you how to make friends did he actually show you and if he didn't that's okay because we're here because we're, we're meant to actually get this right church we're actually meant to be the best friend-making outfit in the world because we love one another. And if your family was a bit low on the love one another quotient, doesn't matter how you've come through the ups and downs of life to be here, when you get into a church family that's working properly, you can find a church community that actually builds friendship and we love one another and we can repair each other and we can fix up the bits that are busted, well, Jesus does, but we can actually do life really, really well. And so I want to say to you, I've got a reasonably high bar for that. And so there are times when you might think, gee, Bruce is a bit of a pain in the bung. He's kind of got his knickers and not about this, and he, or he's given me a hard time, and who does he think he is? I want to tell you, I don't think I'm anybody other than the representative father of the house lifting a bar for a really cool community that I want to work. I want it to be a fun place to take risks. Like, have a crack at it. It's like, have a go. Have a go, you mug. <laughs> have a go. And you know, there's, there's other well more qualified people here to pick you up if you, you know, like June's got nursing skills, if you f fall out of a tree because you thought that was the thing to do and you needed to be scooped up off the pavers, I'm not the man for the job. But there'll be somebody here who is. Get my drift. If your financial world's in a mess, come and speak to Dave and Tegan Schultz. Say, Dave, can you just give us a few tips? Is there anything we should do? Anyone we should speak to? He says, you come and see me during working hours. I'll talk to you about it. My point is, it's not like, well, are we expecting people to just do these things for nothing? Well, it depends what it is. But no, we actually respect that people actually work in different areas of expertise. But they're here for us, looking out for us, doing us good. And so Abram was called to build a nation. And I'm reading an interesting book at the moment called Why Nations Fail. Um, and it's a, a very interesting overview of how prosperity, poverty and nations actually what's behind all of that. And I want to say to you with regards to what God's got in store, he has not got in store for you to be an impoverished person living in a nitty, nitpicking, grumpy, uh, sourpuss-faced 
community. He wants us to be shining like stars in the community. When people step out of the door of a gathering at church. We ought to be beaming on the outside, beaming on the inside. And if you can't because you're broken, then my challenge to you is let Jesus heal you. Why don't we stand to our feet? Let me finish with this from John 15. Recalling that Jesus himself took his disciples on a journey towards friendship. Because they started out being called just to follow. Come, follow me. Their first response was to obey. Then he took them on a journey, showing them miracles. Encountering opposition. To the point where they believed. They believed he was the son of God. Peter exclaims that in Matthew 16, I think it is. So the same template is at work here. That's it. Thank you, Jesus. And then we get to John 15. My command is this. Love each other as I've loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends. Jesus wants each one of us to progress to the point where we have a friend in Jesus. Beautiful old hymn, what a friend we have in Jesus. So this morning, I want you to reach out to Him as you're standing at the end of this meeting. I can feel the power of God on those little phrase. What a friend we have in Jesus. Every dad, what a friend you have in Jesus. Every mum, what a friend you have in Jesus. Every son and daughter, what a friend we have in Jesus. Every family that's got some pockets of pain and difficulty in it today with Father's Day, what a friend we have in Jesus. Whatever your station in life this morning, here in the meeting, in person, listening online, I want to remind you, what a friend we have in Jesus. So, Lord, we come into this last few moments of the song of worship and praise. We pray, Lord, today that you'd bless us, whatever we get up to. Watch over us in the days, the weeks ahead. We're grateful for spring in the air. We're grateful for the sunshine. God, we are just grateful. Thank you, Lord. Amen.